what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Your real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions and the traditions that you grew up in. And it may require of you a vigorous search before you can finally bring to the service what you really think God is like. But it is of immense importance to your soul that your ideas of God, what you think He is like, is as nearly as possible to the true being of God. A.W. Tozer wrote that in the 20th century, and I agree with him when I read those years ago. What he is encouraging us, what he was encouraging his congregation when he wrote that, when he spoke that, is we need to think about God as rightly as we can. We develop certain ideas and notions of God and who He is like and how He acts in the world, but it is incumbent upon us to do a vigorous search within ourselves and within God's Word to make sure that what we think about God is as close as possible to who God really is and how He has revealed Himself. And seeking to understand what God is really like is the goal of this preaching series that we're starting today called Show Show Me Your Glory. And if the Lord is willing, this series is going to take us through Easter Sunday. And my intention today, my hope today, is to try and lay before us why I think this is so important to us. Not only to study as a church, but also individually in our private time with the Lord or in our small groups to deepen our understanding of God and understand what He is like. If you're a note taker in your worship guide, I wrote the goal of this series in this way, that what we want to do over the next 12 weeks is to deepen our understanding of God by... Meditating on His attributes, namely His nature and His ways, and meditating on how to apply our knowledge in wise living. I'm going to come back to that goal in just a moment and kind of talk through it a little bit more. But before I do that, I want to take us through a little bit of a thought exercise. So again, if you're a note taker, if you have one of the worship guides, I have a little chart in your notes. And I, I, what I want to present to you is something I think that we would all agree with is that in your life there are certain things that you know about, there are certain things that you know, and there are certain things that you understand. And I want to give you kind of what my breakdown of that is. Things that you know about, these are things that you kind of have a vague idea on a subject. Maybe it's something that you've heard about, you've read about, you've done a little bit of research online perhaps, not a lot. 
belittle. And so you kind of have a vague notion of what something is about, some subject. We might apply that old adage, I know just enough to be dangerous to things that we know about. But then there are certain things in your life that you actually know. You have knowledge on a subject. You have done some study. You've discussed it with others. You've done really good research. Maybe you've dabbled in it just a little bit for some experience. And you've went from just knowing about something to having some knowledge. I I know about this subject. And then there are things that you understand. You've moved beyond just mere knowledge and you've come to grasp that subject in a way that you can actually put it to use. Often you enjoy it. The things that we really understand are things that we enjoy. And it is actually a help to other people when we put into practice our knowledge, things that we understand, when we are involved in those things is actually a benefit to others. And we we want to keep going. We want to keep learning. So in those little blanks, if you want to, you could write some things down just to kind of do this thought exercise. Some subjects you would say, I know about that. Okay, so for me, I would say, I know about car engines, right? Like if you took me up, had me open the hood to my Jeep, and you started pointing at different things... I could probably tell you 70% of what the components are. I know about it. I have a vague idea of how engines work. Now, if you ask me to really start working on it, I'm going to be dangerous, probably not going to be helpful at all, might make it worse. Because I just know about it a little bit. Now, for me, when I was thinking about what is something I know, I know football. I've watched football for 30 years. I know all the rules. I know the teams. I know the players. If you've ever watched a game with me, I know what coaches should be doing, what calls they should be making. I know about it. Do I understand it? No, because I've never played it. I would not be useful to anyone. My knowledge would not be helpful in in actuality. I've never coasted, I've never played it, I don't really understand it. I would just say, I've got a lot of knowledge. I understand, I believe, preaching. I was going to use that I understand my other job and what I do day to day in my IT job, but the honest truth is I don't necessarily enjoy that all that much. I don't hate it. But it doesn't really bring me joy. Preaching, I've been doing for 17 years. I think I have a grasp of the knowledge of what God wants me to accomplish when I do this. I enjoy doing it. It is not a chore to me. I hope it's helpful when I do it, and I desire to get better at it. My point is, for all of us in this room, you can write those things down. There are things you know about. There are things you know. There are things you understand. And it's really helpful for you to, to, to know what subject falls in what category. Because you can sometimes think too highly of yourself. You can think you understand something and truly you just know a little bit about it. And the goal of this thought exercise is to get us to turn our mind toward God. Do we know about God? Do we know God? Or are we growing to understand God?
The Bible, I believe, presents to us that the goal of a Christ follower is to always be moving toward understanding what God is like. More and more and more and more. I believe the Bible warns us of the danger of living a Christian life in which you are satisfied merely knowing about God or knowing God. I believe the Bible tells us it is understanding God is the aim of the Christian life. Romans 10.2 says that there are people that are zealous for God. They have a zeal for God, but it's not based on knowledge. These are people who just know about Him. They have a vague idea of God. Maybe they are somewhat religious. They've been in church. They've heard people talk about God. They've been around people who know God. And they have developed a vague idea about Him. Sometimes they have pursued experience with God and they're really zealous for that and wanting to experience Him more, but they, they don't know Him. They don't pursue knowledge of Him. And the Bible says that's dangerous to have a zeal for God that's not based on your knowledge of who He is and what He is like. 1 Corinthians 13.2 says, I can have all knowledge but not love and I'm nothing. So there are people who know God. Their mind is filled with information about God. They've studied the Scriptures. They know verses. They can recite them. They are theologians. They can debate and they can argue because they know about God and His Word, but they don't understand Him because they don't love Him. They have knowledge, but they're nothing because they don't love God and they don't love people. They've never taken their knowledge and put it into practice. They love knowing things, but not necessarily knowing God and understanding Him and how He operates in the world. And then we have our prayer focus text from today. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17 and 19, where God says in Proverbs, incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, and look at this, apply your heart to my knowledge that your trust may be in the Lord. I think that's what understanding is. It is when you apply your heart to knowing God. You apply your heart to His knowledge. You don't you don't want to just know a little about Him. You don't want to just fill your mind with information. You want to incline your heart. You want to know who God is and worship Him. You want to get to know Him more and more. You want Him to reveal Himself to you so that you might praise Him and that you might honor Him by sharing with others about Him. God doesn't want us to share with other people our vague ideas of God or our knowledge that doesn't have love. God wants us to share with others our understanding because we know Him and we love Him. I want to say at the very outset of this that the only reason we can understand God is because He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. It is not possible for us to know about God what He does not show us. We are finite creatures. He is an infinite God. 
we can only know about Him what He has chosen to reveal. And our understanding will always be limited. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you follow Jesus. You can be a Christian for 80 years of your life, diligently pursuing God. You're still going to get to the end of your life and not know all there is to know about Him. And it is possible that even in eternity, we're going to be pursuing the glory of God forever. But, God invites us to deepen our understanding of Him. That's what He wants us to do. He wants us to learn about Him. He wants us, through thoughtful meditation, to place our minds on His attributes, the things that He has told us about Himself. And we don't do this to be saved, but we do it when we're a believer, and it takes labor. We don't work in order to have God's favor or be in His family, but when we are part of the family of God, we put ourselves to diligent, disciplined labor that we might learn more about God. So one of God's attributes... His holiness. We can meditate on what it means to be holy through prayer. We can meditate on what it means that God is holy through theologically rich songs. I use that term because it matters what songs we listen to. It was well said years ago that songs are but sermons put to music. Our worship team, I believe, is diligent in presenting to us songs that we would sing in this place that would teach us about God because we learn from them. We meditate on God through His Word. Holiness, what does it mean to be holy? We meditate on His Scripture. We meditated on discussion with one another by talking about His Word. We had small group Friday night at the Dean's. Josh texted me about an hour before we got there and he said, hey, Sometimes we have little conversations at GC. I want to, this is the verse I want you and I to talk about tonight when we have a chance. Discussing God's Word, it helps us to meditate on who He is. And then applying what He's showing us. That's how we learn and understand God. So go back to the goal for a moment, the goal of this series, what we're going to do. Each week, the plan is we're going to take one attribute of God and meditate on it. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. There is an infinite number that even the ones God has revealed, there's so many. But each week we're going to take one attribute, something that God has revealed to be true about Himself, and that's in your notes, to deepen our understanding by, of God by meditating on His attributes. Attributes are things that are true about God that He has told us. His supremacy, His holiness, His sovereignty, his goodness, His grace, His justice, His power, these are all attributes of God. And we are to meditate on those. So we're going to look at those when we come together. And then we're going to ask, how do I take this attribute and apply it to my life? What difference does it make to me that God is holy? How does it inform my life to understand that God is goodness? Or that God is filled with grace, that He is grace. 
that God is power. We're going to look through that each week. And our goal is to apply those things in wise living. And if you want to write in the right there next to the goal, you can write in parentheses worship. Because our goal in knowing more about who God is and learning His attributes is that we might worship Him better and deeper and truer. So that's our aim. We don't want to just know about God. We don't want to just know God. We want to understand God. The case study that I want to give you for a moment is Moses. And it's why I chose this particular passage this week from Exodus chapter 33 and 34. From the very beginning of Exodus chapter 1 all the way through Exodus 34 where we stopped in this picture of Moses seeing God's glory. In all 34 chapters that start Exodus, what you see is this man named Moses who is living out miraculous encounter after miraculous encounter after miraculous encounter with God. And yet, when you get to this moment that we read about, that John read to us just a moment ago, you discover that Moses, even after all that God did through him and around him, even after all of the miraculous events that Moses was a part of, Moses still did not feel like he understood God, that he knew Him. Exodus opens with Israel living in Egypt under harsh oppression to the point that the state had ordered the execution of every male Jewish baby that was born. Moses is born during that time. And by God's hand, he ends up adopted by the king of Egypt's daughter. So he's been ordered to be murdered, but by God's hand, he is brought into the the palace of the king who had ordered those murders, murders, and he lives there under his protection. Moses grows up, he becomes a man. One day he sees his people under oppression. He sees an, an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, and he steps in to defend him, and he kills the Egyptian. And out of fear, he flees Egypt to another country. There he marries, and his father-in-law is a shepherd and puts Moses in charge of his flock. Many years later, while the oppression of the Jews in Israel, excuse me, in Egypt is getting worse, one day in the wilderness, Moses is tending to that flock and he comes across a bush that is burning. It is on fire, but it is not being consumed. And he says, that's intriguing. He steps closer and God speaks to him out of that bush. And God tells him, I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry for help. And I have come down to rescue them. And he tells Moses, who is now 80 years old, I'm sending you back to Egypt. And you're going to Pharaoh. And you are going to be my chosen vessel who will set my people free and lead them out of Egypt. And so through Moses and his obedience, God brings a series of plagues against Egypt until Pharaoh and the whole country are brought to their knees in submission and they release the Hebrews. After they release them, they change their mind. Through Moses, the Red Sea is parted. The people of Israel pass to safety. 
and the Egyptians who are pursuing them are killed. Moses takes them into the wilderness, and there God feeds them manna, bread from heaven, quail. When they get to places where there's no water, Moses strikes rocks, water pours out, the people drink. They are attacked along the way. One particular attack comes, the people of Israel, probably outnumbered, fight against the people who are attacking them. Moses goes up to a hilltop. They discover that as long as Moses raises his hand and his staff that God has given him toward heaven, the people of Israel win the battle. If his arms drop, they lose. Some of Moses' assistants hold his hands up, his arms up for hours upon hours, and the people of Israel win the battle. Three months after being in the wilderness, they arrive at Sinai, this mountain. And there God descends upon the mountain in a cloud. Thunder, lightning, fire, a cloud, the presence of God. Moses is summoned to come and speak with God. The people see this, and when Moses returns, they say, do not let God speak to us. Because we are afraid we'll die. Let Him speak to you and you tell us what He says. Moses walks into what is described as total darkness where God is. God gives him commands and laws for the people. And later, Moses and his brother Aaron and 70 elders of Israel are called back to the mountain to where God is to go into the cloud and they are in God's presence and they eat in the presence of God. And Moses is called to come up further on the mountain to meet with God, and he stays 40 days with him. And he's given more laws and instructions. Exodus says that the Lord would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. That's the conversations that they would have. And when the people of Israel, when their impatience turns to idolatry, because Moses has been gone. They make a golden calf. They began to worship it. And God tells Moses, move out of the way. I'm going to destroy them all. And I will take you and I will make a great nation out of you. And God in His grace raises up Moses to intercede for the people. And Moses prays that God will forgive their sins and God relents. But God tells Moses something. He says, I won't destroy them. And I'm going to send you out of here and I'm going to send them out of here and I'm going to send an angel to go before you. And that angel is going to destroy anyone that's in your way and I'm going to take you to the land that I promised and I'm going to give you that land, but I am not going with you. And it is then that Moses makes some requests of God. The first request of Moses is, God, do not send us if you are not going. In that moment, what Moses said is, I choose the wilderness and suffering with you than paradise without you. I choose you, not your gifts. Don't send me anywhere if you don't go with me. 
And then the second thing that Moses asks is, God, teach me your ways and show me your glory. He says, I want to know you. I want to understand you. I don't want, I don't want to go anywhere without you. I want to be where you are. If it's, if you're in the wilderness, I'll be in the wilderness. I want to be where you are. And I don't want to just be where you are, but I want to know who you are. I want to understand you. Teach me your ways. And so God says, I will do that. I will pass by you and I will proclaim your name. Excuse me, I will proclaim my name to you. And that's the image that we have here. God puts Moses in the cleft of a rock and he passes by him where Moses can see his, the back of his presence. And while God is passing by him, he proclaims his attributes. And the reason that I want to make that point to you is because when God said, when, excuse me, when Moses said, God, show me your glory, God didn't perform another miracle. He didn't send more thunder, more lightning, more fire. Moses had seen all of that. When, when Moses said, show me your glory, God says, I will, and God begins to tell him what he is like. He begins to tell Moses his attributes. The glory of God is who God is. If you were to expect, we sang this earlier, right? Your glory, God, is what my heart longs for. What comes to your mind when you think of the glory of God? Is it loud, thunder, lightning, miracles? God said His glory is who He is. When we say, God, Your glory is what my heart longs for, we are saying, God, I long for Your supremacy in my life. I long for your sovereignty. I long for your holiness. I long for your goodness. I long for your grace. I long for your mercy. I long for your justice. I long for your power. That's what we are saying when we say, I long for your glory. How amazing is it That after all Moses had experienced with God, after all he had saw God do, all the times that he met with God speaking to him like one friend speaks to another friend, that Moses still felt like he didn't really understand God. And he wanted to know more of Him. So I submit that before you, I said as a case study, Because I want you to think about for how many people knowing a little bit about God is enough. They are satisfied with what vague ideas and notions they have about God that they have learned over the years. And that's enough for them. They don't really hunger to know more about God. There's things they want to know about. There's things they want to understand. It's really not God. They're satisfied. To pray to the big man upstairs when they're in trouble and know a little bit about him. How many people would take the promised land without God if he would offer it? How many people would take the gifts of God without the presence of God if he would offer it? 
How many people are satisfied with the knowledge they already have? With what God has already shown them. They've walked with Him for a long time. That's enough for them. They've deemed it enough what knowledge they have. How many people have an insatiable appetite to keep pursuing God to understand Him more as long as He gives them breath? That's who we're called to be. Not to just know a little about Him or be satisfied with what we have known at one point. Jesus said, like, I'm the bread of heaven. He feeds us. None of us would say, I can live off some moldy piece of bread in my pantry. Just pull the bread out. It's black, it's moldy, it's old, it's been there for a long time. I can live on that. We don't, we don't do that way. Spiritually, we can't live off of the bread that God gave us Six years ago. Six months ago. It's every day an appetite. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to understand God. I want to go deeper. That's the goal. Never being satisfied where we are because God is always wanting to show us more. Think about what it's like to speak to a friend. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in my notes, but if Moses could speak to God as a man speaks to his friend, how much more can those of us who believe in Jesus, who the Spirit of God lives in us, how much more can we speak to God that way? I think Moses and his experience with God is is completely inadequate compared to what we have today in the New Covenant. If Moses could speak to God as one man speaks to his friend, so, so can we, I think, all the greater. God offers us this opportunity. Pursue me, understand me, go deeper with me. We cannot be satisfied where we are. So we're going to spend 12 weeks looking at attributes of God. And I hope through that we gain a hunger and an understanding to know Him more. I hope that we grow in our knowledge of Him and and love Him more because of that. But if we get to the end of that 12 weeks and we're done, then we've missed the whole point. The point is priming the pump to look at our lives and say, I need to hunger after an understanding of God. And I want to do that. I want to do that as a young person. I want to do that as an old person. I want to model that for those around me. That's what we're looking at. In your notes... Why should we seek after understanding God? What's the... What's the benefit of that for us? And I wrote down four things. This is certainly not an entire list of why we should desire to increase in our understanding of God. We can, 
And He calls us to do that. And how does that help us? Number one, increasing in our understanding of God protects us from the idolatry of creating God in our own image. Deepening our own understanding of who God really is and what God is like protects us from the idolatry of creating God in our own image. Go back to that quote I gave you at the very beginning. A.W. Tozer said, It's of immense importance to your soul that your idea of God and what He is like be as nearly as possible to His true being. We want to think about God as closely as we can to how He really is. So when we talk about seeking to understand God, we want to understand God for who He is, not for who we want Him to be. I think it was Tim Keller that used to say, the the way that you know that the God you serve is not a God you've made up is He's going to offend you a lot. If God never offends you, you are probably worshiping an image of God that you've created. Because God is not like us. His ways are not our ways. There are going to be times where what God does is going to seem to you to be wrong. It's going to seem to you to be unfair. And the goal of the Christian life is to find out who God is, understand that, and worship Him as He is. We have a tendency... We have a tendency to think God is like us. God thinks the way I do. God sees things the way I see them. God has this persuasion that I do. We say things like, well, my God wouldn't do that. It doesn't matter what my God would do. It's pursuing God and who He is. And then molding ourselves to Him. Moses looked at God and said, teach me your ways. I want to know you. So as we do this, as we pursue God and deepen our understanding of Him, we're going to come across things that it's going to offend us. It's going to be hard for us. But growth comes through that. Bending and molding to what God says when it's outside of what we prefer. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, and it's actually through verse 23. I put 22 on your note in your worship guide. But Romans chapter 1 says there are people that although they knew God, they knew something about Him through His creation, they chose to not glorify Him. They chose to not show Him gratitude. And what they did instead is they exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man. These are people who know a little bit about God. And rather than pursue God and worship Him and be grateful for who He is, they decide to make God in their own image and worship that. Church, we are responsible for shining the light of the glory of God, who He is to a watching world. And in order to do that, we have to learn who He is. Secondly, we seek after growing an understanding of God because it draws out of us authentic worship. It draws out of us authentic worship. 
That's what happened. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass in front of you. That's what he says in Exodus 33, 19. That's my response to you, Moses. You want to see my glory? I'm going to make all my goodness pass in front of you. I'm going to tell you about myself. Well, what did God tell him? He told him some good things. I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious. Amen. Slow to anger. Thank you, God. Abounding in faithful love and truth. Praise you. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity. Thank you, God. But I will not leave the guilty unpunished. He talks about his justice. By the way, how does God forgive iniquity and not leave the guilty unpunished? That's the gospel. This is the gospel. He punished Jesus for the iniquity of the guilty so that he might forgive us of our sins. But the point I want to make there is that Moses could hear God talk about his compassion and his grace and his love. But what about his justice and his wrath against sin? God said, all of that is my goodness. We, we don't just worship God because he is a loving God. Or He is a merciful God. He is worthy of our worship because He is a just God who pours out wrath against wrongdoers. We don't get to pick and choose which attributes of God we worship Him over. All of who God is, is His goodness. And so when we truly know who God is, and then we respond to Him the way Moses did in verse 8, when, when God had passed by Him, immediately it says, Moses knelt low on the ground and worshipped. Because all of the goodness of God had passed by Him. That's true worship. It's to show gratitude for God for who He is, what the people in Romans 1 wouldn't do. We're grateful to God for every one of His attributes. So when God says, I'm just, and I pour out my wrath on sin, that is worthy for us to meditate on and praise Him over. Just as it is good for us to praise and thank Him that He is a God of love. In John 4.23, Jesus says, An hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I've said to you guys many times, I believe that God wants us to experience Him. In some circles of Christendom, that word experience is something people run from. That if, if someone's talking about experience, they're talking about something out here that is outside of what pleases God. And so the Reformed people look at the Pentecostals and they say, well, that's wrong what you're doing, trying to experience God. I think we should desire to experience Him with every sense that He gives us. But the way we experience God is in truth. There are people who pursue all the experiences they can have with God, but they're not interested in knowing His Word and learning His doctrine. We are called to worship in spirit and in truth. 
So authentic worship is both. And what we're talking about today is deepening our understanding of God so that we can worship Him better. A low view of God results in a lot of sin, and a low view of God worships in, excuse me, results in worship that is not authentic. God is not pleased when we worship the image that we have created of Him. He is pleased when we worship Him as He is. Number three, understanding God increases a healthy fear of the Lord that keeps us from the suffering and judgment that is due sin. Increasing our understanding of God increases a healthy fear of the Lord and keeps us from the suffering and the judgment that is due sin. Moses says, I want to know you, God, so I can find favor with you. I want to know your ways so that I can act in ways that would bring favor. That was the old covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus has come and He has died and He lived a perfect life in the ways of God. He died a sinner's death. You and I do not find favor with God by strictly obeying His ways. We have favor with God because of belief in Jesus. Jesus has done the work necessary for you to have favor with God. But we still have responsibility because sin is still sin. And when you and I, even as believers, when we sin, it brings suffering. Let me say that again. When we sin, it brings suffering. It brings suffering to other people, and it brings suffering to us. And it invites God's discipline into our life. And Proverbs tells us that there are people who hate knowledge, and they don't choose to fear the Lord, and they end up eating the fruit of their way. They don't fear God and they don't want to know God's way, so they end up eating the fruit. They end up receiving the results of their way of life. And God says, but whoever listens to me will live securely. You want to have a happy life? <laughs> Wisdom. Does that promise you that you won't go through pain and difficulty and suffering? No, it doesn't. But the pathway to joy, the pathway to happiness in this life, the pathway to enjoying the most of this life that you possibly can is to live in the wisdom of God and dwell securely in His wisdom. And there is some suffering that you can avoid in this life by not sinning. There is some suffering that you can avoid in this life by aligning yourself with God and His ways. And so when we understand more of who God is, and we understand more of what pleases Him, then we can understand more how to live and avoid some suffering and discipline. And then the last one. Understanding more of God deepens our personal appreciation for Jesus. Understanding, deepening our understanding of God deepens our personal appreciation or our delight for Jesus. Josh, I ask you to not sleep during the sermon. 
No. Would you come for just a second? I'm going to do something a little bit different. But right before I came up here, Josh leaned over and he said something to me. And I knew that he didn't see it in the notes because I'm not even sure he knows we have worship guides. Do you know we do bulletins on Sunday? But you have one. Okay. All right. No. I'm going to get you to share a little bit of what you were just, what, what you said was God was giving to you during worship, throughout worship this morning. Yeah, it started when Sam kind of prayed through the psalm with us. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. As he was doing that, I had this thought that like, often we think about God as this like ethereal spirit in the sky. Like it's, it's easy for our minds to kind of go there. Think of this like this unknowable thing. That's what God is. And so when we say we seek him and we, we thirst for him, we look upon him. I think it's right for us as believers in the new covenant. When we think about God, we think about Jesus. So when we say, I seek you or my soul thirsts for you, I've looked upon you. What if we encapsulated that in the person and work of Jesus? So when we seek for God, what if we're going to his word, looking for Jesus? Be in the Old Testament or the new. Like that's where we should look and find God. And like, some of the some of the root cause of all pagan religions being so varied and wild in their belief systems is that it's not rooted and grounded in something that is knowable. There's this idea of God being this this other th- other than thing, and so the heart of man comes up with all kinds of ways to explain it. But who God is was who God is was embodied in the person of Jesus. If God had not condescended to put his glory aside and then enter into creation as a man, we would be left to speculate what God is like. In all the Old Testament saints, they had glimpses and hints and smells and tastes, but never the fullness of. Even Moses, we talked about him, he had the, the, the greatest experience, and David's saying in the New Covenant, we have more access to the Father and to know who God is, and it's because of Jesus. God entered into his creation in the form of us so that we could have an understanding of what God actually looks like. And he didn't just come as like some alien being. He came as one of us. So we have a very clear picture of what does the fullness of God look like. It looks like Jesus. So when you read your Bible, when you come through these doors and gather with the people of God, That's what we should be looking for, to experience that, to understand that, to express that to one another. He's not unknowable. He's not mysterious anymore. Paul talked about the the mystery of the gospel. It's now been revealed in Jesus. So let that increase your affection and appreciation for like we, we call ourselves Christians. We bear the name of Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the one who was promised, who none of them really understood what that was going to look like or what form that would take, but he, he did. He took a form, the form being completely God but completely man. That's Christ. And so we can actually know God now. 
Let that inform your prayers. Let that inform how you read the word. Let that inform your time with other believers. Let's make Christ manifest in our own lives, in our homes, in our thoughts, as we talk to one another. Let's be urging each other always to know Jesus and seek him, because that's where the understanding comes from. So listen to these verses that are written down in, in this. It deepens our personal appreciation, our delight for Jesus. I agree with everything Josh just said. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you know what Moses could not do? You guys remember? God said, you can't do this. You can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. We get to see the face of God in the face of Jesus. You can see the face of Jesus right now with an inward, internal eyes of your heart, but one day you will see Him. You will see the face of God because you will see the face of Jesus. And He is the image of the invisible God. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what He has done. All of the knowledge of the glory of God all of His attributes are given to us in the face of Jesus. So what Josh said, my hope for us, for myself and all of us here, is that we now, on the, as we embark into this new year, is that we strive to be more disciplined, to labor to know God better, to understand Him, and the way that we do that is we put ourselves at the feet of Jesus through prayer, through worship and singing, through study of the Word, through thoughtfulness. Maybe you just need to have a day where you go out of your home and walk in your driveway and just think, God, what does it mean that you're holy? Jesus, teach me what it means that God is holy. And you just walk around for a while and ponder that. You get together in groups discipling communities, small groups, and you talk about Jesus together. We don't hammer that over and over about join with a group. Or if you want to start a group, come and talk to, to us about that. But the reason that we want these gospel-centered discipling community groups to be a part of is so you can have these gospel conversations with one another. Because that's how you learn more about God. And through corporate gatherings and worship like we're doing this morning. So we're going to study this for Lord willing through Easter and, and look at these attributes of God, but the goal is to prime the pump so that throughout the church we are de desiring more truth and more knowledge of God so we know more about Jesus. I want to ask the worship team to come up.
And as they do, as we sing this morning, I want us to respond to God's Word. And I really mean that. I, I don't want us to just be creatures of habit and know that we're, we're kind of reaching the end of the service and so start kind of relaxing about that. Let's, let, I want us to respond. God speaks to us in His Word, so now we have this opportunity as He speaks to us in His Word to, now how do we respond? So perhaps singing, perhaps praying with someone or kneeling on your own, but think about what He has shared with you today. Maybe it's just, God, I want to do this. I want to be more disciplined. I want to grow in my knowledge of You. And God, I just know I'm going to need Your help, so I'm going to spend a few minutes just praying that when I leave here today, like I, I won't lose this feeling I have that I want to give myself to this. Or maybe you've listened to the whole thing and you, and you would just say, like, I, I would nod my head to that, but like desire-wise, that's just not there. Maybe the, your response is to beg God for desire. To want more of Him. We sang that this morning. Like To have the strength to follow Him, we need Him. So think about what you're dealing with right now, thinking about the Word of God and respond. As always, we're going to have some prayer partners over here. If you want someone to pray with you about those things or about anything, you might say, I'm hindered right now by a burden and, and I, I need prayer for that burden. I want to think about God's Word, but I need someone to pray for me about this burden at the same time. You can have that done. Father, this morning I just ask that You would help us God, as I have prayed privately, I know that I need to grow in my understanding of You. And God, it's my desire to grow more, of, to be a, a house of prayer myself, and to grow in just walking with You. And I want, I want that to be the desire of this church. That we would not be satisfied to just know about You or, or know You, but we want to understand You, to delight in You. Jesus, You taught Your disciples. They could sit at Your feet. They would walk next to You. You would teach them always. And Jesus, You told them and You told us it was good for You to leave because then the Holy Spirit would come. Your Spirit, Jesus, is in us and You still teach Your people. You are the great shepherd of your people. So Jesus, teach us. Speak to us. Help us. I know, Jesus, it's mysterious. But you promised you will. Help us to believe that we can talk to you face to face like we do a friend. That you will teach us about God. And let us desire to learn. Change us and transform us that we might worship in spirit and in truth. If this morning you, you know the biggest issue you have is right now you are not walking with Jesus. Whether it is because of sin or unbelief, you just know something is not right in your relationship with Him. Please don't leave here today without talking to me about that, letting Nick know or Sam or Kevin. We would love to get with you at some point and just... Share. Talk with you. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's ask for His help.